0: Well, this weekend, I had an opportunity to do something a little different, um, and it was, it was a great experience for me. Uh, I honestly can confess, I've, we've been really busy lately, and I wasn't really looking forward to it, uh, even though sometimes, uh, you know, people think a pastor, maybe just he, he always has this ability or just to overcome whatever tiredness or whatever uh, personal desires he has to do ministry, but I had the opportunity to go into a local prison and to serve uh, inmates there in the prison this weekend. We went with a team. Our our team was about 40 men, and uh, we were in a unit working with some of the inmates there and and honestly just sharing uh, the message of of Christ. And there's one thing that you sense immediately when you get into a prison, uh, besides just, this is weird, um, and going in, but it's just you feel uh, the weight that these men are carrying as they're there in the prison serving out their sentence. You feel uh, their burden, and you feel uh, even some of the darkness that's just there. And, and, uh, and so you're going into this place where there's these men. Uh, there's a variety of reasons why they're there. They've made some foolish choices. Some of those choices were deliberate. Some of those choices were under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Uh, they've done some different things, and now they find themselves in this position in a prison. And we were able to share the message of hope. Christ with them. Uh, We were able to talk to about 4,600 men uh, as as our whole team collectively did in five different prisons across the area. And out of those men, 328 of them gave their life to Christ for the first time. And so it was an incredible weekend of just watching God work and move and, uh, and seeing people transformed by the gospel. But one of the things I noticed about people in prison is you don't have to sit there and convince them that they're in trouble or that they are broken or that they need help. Okay, now we outside the prison walls, we tend to be a little, uh, a little slower to admit we need help. A little slower to admit that we're wrong. And, and last week, if you guys were here, we, we started a series called Do Over. And we're going to continue that series this week. And we talked about a woman who was caught in adultery. And how Jesus engaged this woman in a, caught in adultery. And rather than condemning her, he offered her grace. And that's good, isn't it? That when we are caught, we get the offer of grace And mercy from God, rather than condemnation. And we said that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But we also said if anyone is in Christ, he is no longer condemned, because Christ took on that condemnation in Himself. And so, this morning, as we continue our series on do overs, uh, because we all need them at some point in our life, probably multiple times a day, if we're really honest, uh, we know that God has given us a picture of what His grace looks like in the person of Jesus and how we can get fresh starts, how we can get second chances, how we can get do-overs. And so I encourage you, if you have your Bible, to go ahead and pull it out to Luke chapter 19. Okay, we're going to look at Luke chapter 19 this morning. And it's a famous story, similar like to the the one we gave last week, where probably many of you in in here are aware, you probably know some of the story, you know some of the aspects of the story. But we're going to look at this story, we're going to unpack it together this morning. And it's the story of this man named Zacchaeus. How many of you guys know this story? Have you ever heard this story? Have you ever sung this song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And a wee little man was he. Uh, and, and I remember growing up in, in church environment. Now, I know not everybody in here did, but if you grew up in church environment, there's a chance that you sang this song about this wee little man named Zacchaeus. And we put a lot of emphasis on Zacchaeus, but as with all of the Bible, the emphasis is not on people. The emphasis is on God. The, the ultimate hero of the story the ultimate star of the show, if you will, of Scripture is not human beings, it's God. And so even in this story, we look at the, the life of Zacchaeus, we see how that God is the, the hero of this, this situation, particularly Jesus. So I want just read this story to us. Uh, this is from Luke, the Gospel of Luke in, in chapter 19, as I said. And Luke has done a phenomenal job uh, on multiple occasions already in this book uh, painting pictures of who Jesus was when he came. And the scripture says that when Jesus came to the earth, uh, that he went to people who were probably the least likely. They were the ones who were the, in the margins. They were the outcasts. They were the poor. They were the sick. They were the needy. And so once again, we find a story uh, where Jesus is shown to go to the people who were probably most uh, least likely uh, to actually have Christ come to them. And so Let me read this to us beginning in verse 1 of chapter 19. and ask you guys to follow along. It's also on the screen if you'd like to read it there. He, this is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowds, since he was a short man. So running ahead... He climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down, and he welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is a great story. It's a powerful story. We don't fully understand the story because we don't know the culture in which the story happens, and I want to give us a little insight into this and why it's so significant that Jesus comes to Zacchaeus. But I do want you to understand that this story is a story of extraordinary grace that leads to a radical life change. It leads to a complete transformation of a man. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about Zacchaeus for a second. Let me give you a little bit of behind the scenes of what's going on in this guy's life. It says, first off, that there was a man named Zacchaeus, which we know he was a Jew. He had a Jewish name, and his name meant clean or pure. And that's total opposite from the way he was living. He wasn't living clean or pure, okay? But yet that's what his name was. That's what it meant. And and so in the story, it says that he was a chief tax collector. Now, maybe you've heard some of this before. Maybe you haven't. But let me help you understand how hated this guy was. Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, uh, he was part of a system that had been put in place by the Romans. When the Romans came in and they took over different provinces, different people groups, what they would do is they would establish a way to get money from the people that were there, of course, and fill their coffers, take care of their needs as a Roman government. And so you can imagine that the Jewish people under this oppression uh, of these Romans coming in were, were really, really frustrated. Uh, in fact, they would probably, you could go as far as to say they hated the Romans, They hated what they were doing to them. They hated the way they were extorting them. So here's Zacchaeus, who is a Jew, and his people are being oppressed by the Romans. And now all of a sudden Zacchaeus basically becomes a traitor to his family. He turns his back on his family, his friends, and his community to do what? To work for this enemy, to work for the Romans. So here he is now working for the Romans, and he's not just working for them, He's got one of the worst jobs possible. Because what is he doing? He is collecting money, taxes, from his own people so that he can give it to his enemies. and can give it to their enemies. So here is Zacchaeus. He's collecting this, this money. He's, and, and the crazy part about it is, of course, the Romans had a certain amount that they wanted to receive from the Jewish people. But on top of that, if a tax collector was going to survive, if he was going to make money, what did they do? Well... They added whatever amount they thought they needed to the tax so that they could live off of that. And the Romans would give them a group of soldiers who would travel around with them, and they were basically there to enforce this tax. And so the the goal at this point was, hey, look, they either pay a tax or they go to jail. That was your two options. And Zacchaeus is walking around with this group of Romans, Roman soldiers, and he is collecting tax And not only collecting tax, but above and beyond the tax. And he's living off that. And clearly, it says to the scripture here that he was rich. So he was doing a really, really good job at being a bad dude. Okay? That's that's where Zacchaeus was. And I'm sure that the people who uh, he grew up around, his friends, his family, all those folks, I'm sure at this point, they hate him. They detest him because he has chosen this side of the Romans. And it says, in uh, some commentators actually talk about Jericho, which is, by the way, the place where they are at this point. And we know that Zacchaeus was doing so well that there was actually a tower in Jericho. And this is the same Jericho from the Old Testament. For those of you guys that may remember the story back in the Old Testament where God's people marched around a wall. And it says that on the seventh day, they marched around seven times, they shouted the trumpet, they blew, and it, the wall came coming crumbling down, right? There's another song in that too. We won't sing that one this morning. But that's what happened. And this town now, actually in the center of the town, there was a tower, a massive tower, uh, a a building that was there, and it was called the Tower of Zacchaeus. And so people in Jericho knew Zacchaeus, and he even had this monument basically built to himself using their money. So he was a thief, and he was a traitor. Do you understand how hated he was now? Can you imagine? I know uh, in our own day, we don't have these kind of guys but you know if you're an IRS person you're not exactly the person everybody's like I'm going to be friends with them right but it's 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 not that that job that everybody's like oh yeah I'm so glad you have that job right but here's the thing Kiss was in this position and he was doing really really well but you got to imagine for just a second that if he's in this place where he's making a lot of money he's rich and he's and yet he's done it through these these different means, that were completely unacceptable to his people. He had to be really lonely. I'm sure he probably had a few friends that were, you know, enjoying the benefits of his wealth. I'm sure they were, you know, enjoying the fact that he had money, and so therefore he could probably put on a pretty good party. He probably could, uh, you know, bless people when he chose to, or uh, you know, help people or whatever. But in general, this guy Zacchaeus was a bad dude, and I'm sure he was lonely. And just notice here, I think this is important in this story to know to that just because Zacchaeus had money and just because he had power didn't mean he was happy. And in our culture, sometimes we buy that lie, don't we? If I just had enough money and I just had enough power, influence, position, then I would be happy. And that's a mirage. There is no amount of money, there is no amount of power that will ultimately satisfy your soul. Because that stuff is temporary and that stuff is a shadow. It's, it's not going to satisfy your soul. So here's Zacchaeus. But notice what it goes on to say about Zacchaeus. It says not only was he this tax collector, and by, and by the way, chief tax collector. Not just the tax collector, but the, the overseer of other tax collectors, which just amplified the problem. But it says that, we go on in the story, that he um, was a wee man. <laughs> he was small. He was short. He had a curiosity. He heard that Jesus was coming to uh, to Jericho. He wants to see what's going on, and he can't see because he's short. So what does he do? He runs ahead, and he gets ahead of the crowd, and he climbs up a sycamore tree. And just so you kind of get the idea here, he runs up to this tree. It's a good climbing tree. Um, my, my kids like to climb trees. I don't know if you guys uh, are, are tree climbers in here. My kids like to try, climb trees, but apparently this, this tree was a really good tree to climb, and it was real leafy. So once he was up in the tree, he was probably hidden so he could kind of sit up here in this, tree, in this tree and he could kind of look through the leaves, but he was hidden up there in this, in this tree, this sycamore tree. And I was thinking about that this week, that the reason why Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus is because, number one, there was a crowd in his way, right? And he was short. So he had some barriers to seeing Christ. Now, it doesn't say here that he was trying to see Christ because he wanted salvation. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he wanted to see Christ because he knew he needed to change his life. It just says he was curious. He just wanted to see what Christ was doing and what Jesus was doing. But I was thinking about this idea of barriers. And my guess is that the, in this room, there have been barriers in our lives, in your life and my life, that have kept us from seeing Jesus. And those barriers for Zacchaeus were literally physical barriers. I mean, people were in the way, and he was short, <laughs> But in our lives, there's also barriers for us that keep us from following Jesus. There are barriers that keep us from experiencing what Harley talked about, the life that is found in Jesus. And I just want to give you two really quickly. Two that I think that I see in America, and I see these in my own heart. First one is this. One of the biggest barriers to actually experiencing life in Jesus and really seeing Jesus accurately is pride. Pride. Pride is where we make life all about us, where we think we can do life apart from God where we think that we are completely capable of solving our own problems of fixing our own struggles uh, we have, we think that we can we can do life independent of God and I just want to tell you right now that that is not true I think you know that I hope you know that if you don't know that I want you to know life doesn't work without God But pride gets in the way. Pride keeps us at a place where we care more about what others think about us than what a holy God knows that we are. That's what pride does. It blinds us to our issues. It it makes us think that we can live independent of God. And so that's one of the biggest barriers that we face in our own country, in our own lives a lot of times, is that pride will keep us from coming to Christ. But the second thing that really can be a barrier for us are substitute saviors. Substitute saviors. What do you mean by that, Nick? What is that all about? You know that in our lives we are going to have struggle, we are going to have pain, we are going to have hardship, we are going to feel an emptiness, we are going to feel a loneliness, we are going to feel sometimes that our lives just really don't matter. And so we will find something else. We will try to find something to substitute to fix that problem, to meet that need. The Bible calls those things idols. That's the, I, the word. I, and if I, didn't, I didn't say that on the front end because most of us, like we were here, idol idolatry or idols, we're like, I don't do that. I'm just going to go ahead and tell us again, every one of us in the room, we all struggle with idolatry. We all struggle with turning something that's temporary into something that we worship, that we look to it for meaning, for acceptance, for value. We look to it to fix our problems. Sometimes our spouse becomes an idol. Sometimes our children become an idol. Sometimes our job becomes an idol. Sometimes our hobbies become an idol. But we find things and we substitute them for Jesus and we say, okay, this will fix me. This will make me better. This will make my life better. This will fix the problem that's ailing me. And I want you to understand with me this morning that idols will do nothing but keep us from the true solution to our heart's problem. They're a substitute and they don't last. And so Zacchaeus is this man who is hated. He's done these things that we hope none of us will ever do and yet we probably have done things in our lives that we're not proud of. And he's also a man who has some barriers to actually seeing Christ. But notice what goes on. In verse 5, and I think this is where it turns in the story. Verse 5 says this, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever met somebody famous before, but we do some really funny things, some awkward things when we meet people who are famous. I've heard stories, multiple stories, in fact, of people meeting a famous person and just kind of like not being able to say anything or just saying something completely goofy and off the wall. Uh, because sometimes when we're in the presence of someone famous, it just messes with us, right? But here's this story. I can't imagine what Zacchaeus felt. He thought he's like up in the tree, he's hiding, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up at the base of his tree. Now, just, just to kind of help us get a little sense, what would happen tomorrow if you woke up and you got a knock on the door and you open it and there's Jesus standing there? there? Is anybody like, Oh, wait just a second. Let me clean a few things up, Jesus, right? Uh, I didn't realize you were going to be coming today. Uh, let, me, let me go do some confession. Let me fix a few things. Let me make sure that things are right. You don't really want to come in here. I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? And here's Zacchaeus. He's up in this tree thinking, I'm just checking things out. I'm just curious. I just like to kind of watch him pass by, and all of a sudden he's at the base of his tree. I'm sure at that moment he's thinking, oh, great. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? How's he going to call me out? I mean, he knows. And the crazy part about it is it says what? He calls him by name. Now, we don't know if it's just because he was famous in the area, or we don't know if it's because God supernaturally, because Jesus is not only a man, but he's also God, and he just knew supernaturally that his name was Zacchaeus, but he calls him by name. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. This is my favorite part of the song and Zacchaeus was with him man. Zacchaeus you come down right and he says come down from the tree and Zacchaeus has now got a, a decision to make now as I said because we understand who Zacchaeus is we can understand just how incredible this grace moment is because if anything Jesus should have just kept walking If anything, he should have ignored him, he should have stayed away from him, he should have done what all the other religious people would have done, which was to shun him, to push him out, to say, Zacchaeus, you're not welcome here, to say, go away, say, I hate you, you are in the wrong. He had the right to say all those things, right? And yet Jesus comes to him, and he gives him an invitation, and he says, Zacchaeus, our paraphrase, I want to hang out with you. And he, he maybe does a little bit of a, a social faux pas here because he says, I'm coming to your house. I'm inviting myself over, right? We tell our kids all the time, don't invite yourself to people's houses. Don't do that. They're like, no, they invite. Whatever, you went over and said, hey, can I come? So that, we know how that works. And yet Jesus does it. So I'm not going to tell them this story because then they'll say, well, see, Jesus does it, right? So like, but seriously, Jesus invites himself over. He says, let's hang out, Zacchaeus. And I think in this moment, Zacchaeus has got to be going. Me, you, you, Jesus, want to hang out with me? Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever had that moment where you are like, Me, God, you love me? I mean, you know me. You know my issues. You know my struggles. You know where I mess up. You, you see. Do you want to hang out with me? And Jesus says, "Yes, I want to hang out with you. I want you." To know me. I want to know you. Listen. Grace does not compute with our human minds. Grace does not compute. Let me explain. In our world, the way it works is it's transactional and it's conditional. So at a very base level, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, right? You do something for me, I'll do something for you. That's the way human beings work. Even in our best attempts, I love my wife, and, and I, I'm so thankful for her, and I want to serve her, and I want to bless her, and I want to have a, a, a good marriage, and I want to be the kind of husband God's called me, to do, called me to be, but even in my best moments, my expectation is that if I do something kind for her, she's going to do something kind for me. That if I can do something kind for her, then maybe, maybe she'll like be nice to me. No, she's really nice, in spite of the fact that I'm not always nice to her, Okay? What am I saying? That's the way human beings work. We want conditions. We want, we want, I'll do this, but you have to do this first. I'll do this, but you have to do this after. You know, we, we have all these conditions. We have all these transactions. That's the way human, humanity works. And it also works this way that if you don't do those things, then I don't owe you anything. If you don't meet my needs, if you don't you know, measure up, then I can say, forget you and walk away. That's the way human, human beings work. That's the economy that we swim in. That's the economy that we work. That's not what grace says. Grace says, in spite of the fact that you can't do anything, I'm still going to choose to be with you. I'm still going to choose to serve you. I'm still going to choose to bless you in spite of all that. My kids at Christmas, um, they were given some earphones as a Christmas present. And so it's funny, if you come to my house now, uh, most days they all are walking around with these earphones on. Now, the funny part was is that they didn't have anything to plug them into at first. So they're just walking around with earphones on, you know. They have the jack kind of hanging down, but they're just like they just thought it looked cool. So they're just walking around with these earphones on. And uh, <laughs> I was laughing at them, but it also makes obedience really hard because they can't hear now. So it's like, hey, go do this. And they're like, I, I've got earphones on, I can't, you know, I can't hear. Um, so they decided during the break, my, my oldest daughter decides she's going to make it her mission to find them something to plug their, <laughs> their earphones in. And so she goes and she gets on Craigslist and she finds these old iPods. And their iPod touches, and they're like first and second generation iPod touches. And so our kids are excited about this because now they've got something to plug their earphones in. And so they're all walking around the house and they're just like jamming out, you know. And then they start realizing, you know, iPods have apps on them. And they're like, there's games. And and so they're like, oh, let's check this out, you know. And we had to, like, password uh, protect them. And they're like, hey, Dad, can I put this app on? And so we start trying to put apps on. Well, guess what? We found out something. These older iPods, they kind of tap out at the operating system. So all the new applications that are available don't work because the operating system is old. And so they're trying to get it to work, but it's not happening. And so they're like, what's the deal, you know? And I'm like, well, you have an old operating system. Well, let's go up, update the operating system. Well, the update the operating system can't be updated because this is an old device. Now I was thinking about it this week, and I was like, okay, this is a really interesting parallel because what happens for people functioning in the human way is that we try to just make grace into an application that we apply to our current operating system, which is a religious-based system that says, I have to earn God's approval, I have to earn God's. Uh, acceptance. I have to earn God's love. And when you try to apply grace, the grace application to that operating system, it doesn't compute. It doesn't work. You know why? Because grace isn't just an application upgrade. Grace is an operating system change. It's a whole new way of thinking about life. It's a whole new transformation. It's a whole new way of life in the view, in the lens, in the way that things work. And it's not humanly. It's supernatural. Because we, apart from God, cannot function this way because we still think in an old paradigm. We all think in an old operating system. Are you with me? And I think in our lives, guys, we need to understand that grace blows the old operating system up. And for some of us, that operating system change that needs to happen, it's offensive, and it goes back to this issue of pride because grace says you can't earn your way into my grace, into my acceptance. And for some of us, we would rather do that. For some of us, we'd rather say, hey, give me a check the box. Tell me to be a good husband, a good dad, go to church, read my Bible, do all those things and then I can get your acceptance. Some of us would rather just get a list. But that's not how it works with God. Because God says, you can never earn your way to me. But Christ has made a way. It was interesting talking to those prisoners yesterday. I was sitting out in the little area, um, this, this open area there, and we had a NASCAR pull into the prison, and of course, you know, as soon as the, the NASCAR comes in, they're revving up the engine, and all the, the inmates are like, you know, looking out, and then they come out and surround And so there's, they're so excited to get to see this NASCAR and check it out, and we're sharing the gospel, and, and uh, this one of these guys at camp comes up, he's uh, just an incredible man who's been in and out of prison three times, and he's sharing his story, and he's talking about how that every time he was in prison, at least for the first two times, he would get out and he would say to himself, I am not coming back here. I am not gonna do this. I'm gonna fix myself and I'm gonna become the man that I know I need to be. And you know what happened? He'd get home, he'd do, very, do really good for a short window of time and he'd go right back. And the third time that he was in the prison, he heard the gospel. He heard the good news about Jesus. And the good news about Jesus is that you and I can't fix ourselves. And that we're not trying to become the man we want to be. We're letting God make us into the man he wants us to be. And when he does that, everything changes. He said the third time when he left that prison, that God radically changed his heart. And by God's grace, he's never gone back. You see, grace can do what we cannot do. God's power can do what we cannot do. You and I cannot fix ourselves apart from God. Christianity is not a religion of self-help. You guys know that? It's not a, hey, three tips to a better life. It's not a, hey, you know, here's how to fix uh, your marriage if you just work harder and try harder. It's letting God change everything and seeing it through the lens of God's grace and his mercy. We need a new operating system. And I ask multiple of those prisoners, Inmates. Yesterday, I said, "So, how do you guys think you get to heaven?" And you know what they said? The same thing that people outside the prison say: "Do do enough good things." That's not what the Bible says, and that's a good thing, because we never could do enough good to fix what's broken. We got to move on. Verse six. It says this: So he Zacchaeus quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. Because that's what religious people do, right? Instead of being excited that this guy's going to come down, all the religious people are like, what's he doing hanging out with sinners? As if they're not sinners, right? So here he is. They're complaining. And he says, he's going to go lodge with this sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Repentance repentance, repentance, that's what happens here for Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know if you, what you think about the word repentance. It's not a word we use in our culture a lot, but I want to just stop here for a second because repentance is a word that's so significant for us as Christians. And what Zacchaeus shows us is what repentance looks like. Now, I'm not saying that you do the exact same things that Zacchaeus did, but you do, and I do, some of the same patterns of what Zacchaeus did. That he sets into, in, in front of us, Luke, the writer here, sets in front of us what it looks like when we truly grasp the grace of God. So notice what happens. Let me first explain repentance to you for a second. When you and I are born, we are born into sin. For those of you that have been around, you know, uh, we have a number of children, and I say this fairly often, but our children, uh, I love them. They're, they're beautiful kids. They're a blessing, but they are sinners, okay? And, and so when they go from these little cute little babies that I'm just holding to telling me no, it makes me angry, okay? And, and, but, but they are born with a broken system, okay? They, they want to do what they want to do. And as beautiful as they are and as amazing as they are and as miraculous as they are, they have a sin nature. And guess what? I have a sin nature too. And so here's what that means by sin nature. When you're born, your orientation, your life, you are bent on sinning. You are bent on self. You are bent on putting yourself at the center of life and doing what you want to do. That's, what, that's the way we're born. But repentance says that I'm going to turn away from sin and I'm going to turn away from doing what I want to do and putting myself at the center to turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put you at the center and I'm going to put you, I'm going to let you be in charge. Not put you in charge. He is in charge. Let you be in charge of my life, okay? That's Repentance. And notice what happens for Zacchaeus in this story. First, between the branch that he's on, hiding there in the leaves, to the ground, he's converted. Somewhere in there, he's converted, okay? Uh, he immediately comes down. How many of you guys have felt God prompting you to do something and you're like, I'll do it later? Here's the danger in that. Chances are you let that moment pass, you probably won't do it later. Because our feelings will take over and we'll, we'll, we'll follow our own way. We'll fall back, fall back into the same patterns and habits we were before. But he immediately, there was no delay. We like to tell our kids, delayed obedience is disobedience. That's good, isn't it, parents? Right? It's good. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Like you sitting there and me having to tell you four times, you've already disobeyed. Like that, That's disobedience. So he does it immediately. But then notice he gets to the ground and he, he welcomes Jesus joyfully. How many of you guys think of repentance or turning your life away from pursuing what you want to pursuing God what God wants? How many of you think that that is a downer? It's like, "Oh man Jesus, you want me to follow you because now I'm gonna have to get up all this stuff that I really like and do something boring." Sometimes we see God that way, right? It's like, God, this stuff is really good. I guess that's OK. I'll go this way. Listen, true repentance and true transformation when it's grace-based, you realize that what God offers you is better than anything this world can offer. It's better than anything that sin can try to sell you. And so Zacchaeus is joyful. It's not a drudgery. As I told the men yesterday, maybe this was, helped a lot of them struggle with, with drugs, and I said, listen, you want a high? Follow Jesus. He is the greatest high ever. And I don't mean like a literal drug high. I'm talking about like being free from the slavery and the shame and the fear that comes with sin. The consequences of that. Follow Jesus. And then notice also that he, this happens in front of a bunch of people. So he does it publicly. He does it publicly. He says in front of this group of people who are murmuring, who are you know, criticizing Jesus, and, and who probably hate him, he says, I'm going to follow Jesus. Publicly. You guys know what baptism is? Bub- baptism is a public declaration to others that I'm following Jesus. The public declaration. The last Sunday this month we're actually going to have baptism here. And if you've never been baptized, I encourage you to do that. Baptism baptism does not save us. It is not our salvation. But it is a part of the process of saying, I am confessing with my mouth publicly that I believe in Jesus. And for some of you, that would be a great next step to make it clear who you're following. Where your allegiance lies. And then finally, notice radically. He radically changes his life. What do you mean? Well, What did he do? He says, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've extorted, if, I love that, if I've extorted anybody. (laughs) If I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus tell him he had to do this? No. This is not what, Jesus didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, go give away your stuff. And, you know, uh, give four times back to those that you've extorted. And then you can be Christian. Then you can follow me. Right? Then you can be saved. Is that the way it works? No, because here's the thing I love that. Awesome. Good job. Um, That's not how it works. You see, the invitation is to come to Jesus and be saved. And then the change is a response to what Christ has already done. People, as I said a while ago, try to earn their way to God. But the lifestyle change is a response of gratitude and worship to what Christ has done. In fact, Romans 2. Verse four says this way. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness intended to lead you to repentance? What leads us to repentance? God's kindness. His mercy, his grace, it leads us to repentance. Zacchaeus experienced the grace of God and he was changed radically. I think this is really important as we kind of wrap up the story. The last two verses here contains something that's very important for people that are on a spiritual journey. It says this in, in verse nine. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know what your walk with God looks like. But chances are, There's some people in this room who are seeking Jesus. You're seeking after Jesus. You're trying to figure out who he is and how this really works. And I want you to know something that's really awesome this morning. In the end, we really aren't the ones seeking. It's actually him who's seeking us. In fact, scripture would say that it's not so much about us finding him, but him finding us, being found by him. And I think about that this morning Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. Maybe some of you know those parables. And he says there's a parable of a lost sheep, there's a parable of a lost coin, and there's a parable of two sons, a lost son. And in every one of those stories, we see the heart of a father who says, I am pursuing you, I am seeking after you. That's the father's heart. He loves us. So what are some takeaways? Catch this as we close out this morning. What are some takeaways? Some of you today in this room, I want you to hear this. If you haven't heard anything else, some of you today in this room, you're lost. Um, You've been in church, you've been around things of God, you've been religious, but some of you are lost. Some of you don't know Jesus. Some of you have never received forgiveness for your sin. Listen, He offers you forgiveness, He offers you redemption, He offers you salvation. Just as he said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation can come to your house. But the question is, is do we acknowledge, do we admit that we are lost? And for some of you, you know, even right now, when I say those words lost, you feel that in your heart. The Holy Spirit is putting that on your heart. You feel lost. I know that's not culturally popular. I hear churches they won't even use that language. But that's what the Bible says is that without Jesus, we're lost. And here's the thing we don't have to stay lost. Because you've got a Savior who's seeking you out. To seek and to save the lost. How do you receive the gift of salvation? You say, Jesus, I'm done pursuing my way and I want to receive your gift of salvation. I want to pursue your way. You say, Jesus, I can't earn my way to heaven. I'm going to accept the fact that Jesus, you can give me access to the Father and to heaven. Eternal life. But here's the other thing. Some of you, You've had a moment of salvation, but lately you've just been drifting into sin. You're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, you're seeking to do the good things, but you've got some areas where you just drifted into sin. And the call this morning is to return to Christ. The call is to repent of the things that you're struggling with and saying, God, I can't fix these on my own. I need your help to fix them. I need your strength to fix them. You see, the same grace that brought salvation to us is also the same grace that will help us to live more and more like Christ. So this morning, who are you relying on? Are you relying on your own strength to be a good person? Or are you relying on the power and strength of God? What operating system are you running this morning? Are you running an operating system of man and works-based religion? Or are you running an operating system of grace that says, I could never be good enough, but God is good. He saved me. He rescued me. He will not change his decision on that, and now I want to live a changed and transformed life. What needs to change in your heart this morning? Let's pray.